Well, you might have noticed from the bulletin that uh, we're finishing up the book of Daniel today. Uh, we're behind because we uh, had 54 baptisms last week to do, and so that we didn't expect that, but that's a good problem to have. It threw us off. You can clap at that. Yep. So it kind of threw us off, and uh, so those of you who, who came expecting like a focus on Christmas, it's going to be kind of a bummer for you this morning, but for those of you who have been with us in this series on Daniel that you want us to wrap up because it's been really an awesome look at prophecy, then um, you're going to like this morning. So if we've been doing all along, we've been trying to find creative ways to read for you the Scripture because uh, there's a lot of pictorial language in Daniel, and we're trying to really help us all... Uh, uh, tune in to what it's saying. So our creative arts team has worked really hard to put together a creative scripture reading following the text exactly of Daniel. So why don't you look up right here on the screen. Let's look at that and then I'll pray and we'll dive right in. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, every one whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray. Father, one of the things that we uh, established at the very beginning of this series is that lots of folks tend to shy away from prophecy in the Bible because when they read it, their heads spin and they don't understand it very well. Yet, Lord, as we have learned in this series, if we're willing to dig just a little bit and to park in front of your revelation, your word to us, then we can begin to understand what you have said to us. And Lord, we've seen that throughout this series. And so, God, as we unpack now a bit of Daniel chapter 12, as a 
fitting cap to this series, the end of this book, I pray, God, that as Jesus said so often, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which you have prepared for us. May we understand rightly your word, and Lord, may we apply it diligently in our lives. God, thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you've spoken to us in your word, and that you do so still through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would speak now in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you guys have uh, noticed or not, but in the last 30 or 40 years in American culture, Hollywood has gotten really into, like, predicting what might happen as we get toward the end. They really have. In fact, there have been a slew of movies, all that try to take a stab at, at what might eventually end or finish off this world that you and I are in. So if you're a movie watcher at all, you know that there are, are movies on nuclear devastation, like the original Terminator movie. And then you got movies like Asteroids that are colliding with the world and Armageddon or Deep Impact. You got the catastrophic effects of global warming in the movie The Day After Tomorrow. You got anarchy in that old Mad Max movie from the 70s with Mel Gibson and now with the Book of Eli movie. As you continue on watching in movies, you got aliens invading the world in the classic War of the Worlds film. You even have the Earth's core reversing itself in the 2003 movie The Core. They talk about viruses that might wipe out the earth. I mean, the list is endless to the things that Hollywood has come up with that just might eventually end this world and what the end might look like. And Hollywood has given us our fill in the last 30 or 40 years of what this might entail. And yet as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, way before our culture ever started thinking about it, God in the Bible already began talking very specifically and pointedly about what the end is going to entail. In fact, for those of you who've read the Bible, you know that you got entire chapters and even complete books in the Bible that do nothing but talk about the end and what's going to happen as the clock winds down on this world of ours. You got books like the Revelation in the New Testament. You got chapters like Matthew 24 where Jesus talks about the end. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2 where Paul the Apostle talks about the end. Then you have huge chunks of space in the Old Testament, obviously, in books like uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Joel, all committed to helping you and I have some understanding of what God wants us to know about the future of this world and even the end. And we even have the latter half of the book of Daniel, the book we've been studying this fall here at Scottsdale Bible. And we've seen that Daniel is actually one of the most pointed and thorough discussions of what the end is going to hold in all of the Bible. In fact, it's so thorough and so pointed that I called this series Future 401 because it's anything but a 101 level introduction to prophecy. It like throws us into the deep end of what the Bible says the end will be like. That's what Daniel 7 through 12 does. And yet unlike Hollywood's portrayal of what the end might look like, which is obviously speculation with maybe a little bit of scientific conjecture thrown in, what the Bible says will happen, we have seen, is both true and sure. And the reason that we know it's true and sure is because the Bible has already proven itself with prophecies concerning things like the rise of the Greek world, complete with Alexander the Great, the persecution of the Jews under Antiochus IV in 170 B.C., the desecration of the temple shortly after that, the Maccabean revolt shortly after that, and obviously the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago. I mean, all prophecies that were written hundreds of years before any of them actually took place, only to come true exactly as the Bible described. 
And so, folks, this gives us confidence that what the Bible says is still going to happen will, because we all know that past performance is the best indicator of present ability, right? The business world functions on that model. Past performance is usually the best indicator of present ability, and the Bible has it. The Bible has a track record 100% because it's given to us by God in predicting what's coming down the pike for this world. And so as we get to the final chapter of the book of Daniel this morning, it provides for you and me a wonderful and even insightful summary of what we can expect as our world gets toward what it labels the end of the days. In fact, when you look closely at Daniel 12, folks, it points to no less than six key events that you and I can clearly, that you and I can clearly count on happening as time progresses towards its final conclusion. And though this list is surely not exhaustive of all that the Bible says will happen in the future, I find that it's a wonderful summary of some of the main events that you and I need to know about that are coming down the pike for the future of this world as it winds down. And so let's list these things. I call this the future according to the Bible. It's point one in your outline there. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning on this. And the first thing that we can expect is continued spiritual battle continued spiritual battle. Some of you were not expecting this one, and yet it's there right at the beginning of Daniel chapter 12. And so look at verse 1 and notice with me how this chapter begins. This is very revealing. It says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Pause right there. Many of you might remember that Michael in the book of Daniel and in all the Bible is an angel. And not just any angel, but he's what Daniel calls one of the chief princes. And most interesting is that as Michael is mentioned about five times in the entire Bible, and in each and every instance, get this, we find him engaged in spiritual battle with the forces of evil, the kind of spiritual battle that happens behind the scenes and yet affects what's going on here on planet Earth. So, for instance, in Daniel 10, we find Michael battling spiritual evil behind the scenes as it presents itself in the Persian kingdom that was against Israel at that time. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, and in Jude chapter 1, verse 9, we find Michael battling evil as it reflects back when he was contending for Moses in Old Testament times. And then in Revelation 12, verse 7, we find Michael once again battling evil during what most Bible experts see as the great tribulation time, which we'll get to in a few minutes here. You get the point. Every time we see Michael in the Bible there, he is battling the spiritual forces of evil behind the scenes, but things that drastically affect our everyday world. And there's a point in that for you and me. And that is that right off the bat in Daniel 12 here, we realize that we're going to have a continued spiritual battle until the end. And what you need to know is that the rest of the Bible tells us this as well. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, and they are, and I quote, opposed to each other. You and I got a battle on our hands every day. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that our deepest struggle is not a physical struggle. It's not with our 401k or with our, or with our jobs or with the financial part of our life. No, our deepest struggle is a spiritual battle, a constant cosmic conflict with unseen spiritual forces that vie for our attention and our allegiance. And that's what Daniel 12 is saying too that the deepest part of our spiritual life is a battle we now have as those filled with the Holy Spirit but with targets on our back 
with the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of evil. You know, just uh, the other day, I was talking with one of my good friends on the phone in the evening, and we were unpacking some difficult things that are going on in his life right now. And this friend of mine lives here in Scottsdale, and he is a wildly successful business person. In fact, in his business, he's won numerous awards, and he's gotten prestigious write-ups on just how well he runs his business. And yet he's also known as somebody that is, has the utmost integrity. He's a man who takes his walk with God very seriously, and he has a lot of integrity in the way that he lives his life. And people notice that, and God has prospered him uh, as well. And yet, just in the last couple of years, since the recession hit, he has had three lawsuits, no less than three, brought against him, and has created a lot of havoc in his business and in his personal life. They're more frivolous lawsuits. They're people who I think are just looking after a buck. But in today's litigious society, that has traction, that has, has grit, and is creating a lot of problems in his life. And we were talking about how the fact that here he is, a righteous dude, trying to really walk with God and do, doing it very successfully, and yet experiencing these difficult times in his life after having done so well in his business. And we were talking about how the fact that that can't be a coincidence. There has to be a spiritual battle going on there somewhere. And at one point in the conversation, he said to me, Jamie's a pastor. Have you ever seen like a group of people that are really taking their walk with God seriously in which God might be up to something really big in their lives, but then they experience difficult times as spiritual battle comes down the pike? And I said, all the time, all the time. I mean, folks, hear this. That's the nature of the game is that as you and I take our walk with God seriously, as we follow him, as Daniel did in the Old Testament there, there's a target on our back. The kingdom of evil does not sit idly by at that and say, well, I guess it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal to them. And so there's a constant spiritual battle that God says is going to happen until he returns. And it's part and parcel of our walk with God. Make no mistakes. One of the first things that Daniel 12 promises us is a continued spiritual battle. And yet it's a battle, as we were seeing just a second here, that God is eventually going to win and that you and I can have victory on even now as we walk with God through Christ. Now, there's more that Daniel 12 reveals, much more. So notice a second key event that is coming down the pike. And that is that there will someday be what Jesus calls a great tribulation. A great tribulation. Look at how Daniel says it here in Daniel 12, verse 1. Look at how it continues. It says, And there will be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Talking about the future, a time of trouble like none ever before seen. Now, we've already unpacked much of this in this series we're in, so we don't need to belabor it this morning. But what you need to know is that all throughout Daniel, we saw it in Daniel 9, now we see it here in Daniel 12, as well as plastered throughout the entire New Testament, is this idea of a coming tribulation. And Daniel calls it the abomination that causes desolation in chapter 9, and he says it'll last about seven years. Jesus was the one, as I mentioned, who called this the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, and he describes it this way. Tune into this. He says, and I quote, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. So it will be a time of tribulation, folks, and trouble like nothing this world has ever seen, making all of our natural disasters, genocides, and holocausts look mild by comparison. 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us that this great tribulation will be initiated by a man of lawlessness whom John calls the Antichrist, a ruler who will deceive many and bring great persecution on God's people. 
And in Daniel 12, here it even tells us more about the specific length of this time of tribulation. And look at how it says it there in verse 11. Some of you caught this because it uses a number here. It says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate, again, that's the great tribulation, is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Interesting, 1,290 days. Do the math. It's three and a half years. In fact, it's almost exactly three and a half years. And so the only question becomes, well, if in chapter 9 it says that the tribulation is seven years and here the tribulation is three and a half years, how do you, how do you gel that with each other? And it's relatively simple. And that is that what most Bible experts assert is that there will be a tribulation period of seven years and about halfway through that tribulation period, it says in Daniel 9, that the Antichrist will make a covenant with many and then it says here in Daniel 12, he'll put a stop to the regular burnt offering. So we assume there'll be a third building of the temple in Jerusalem. The first building was in Solomon's time. The second building was in Ezra and Nehemiah's time. And then a third building sometime in the future of the temple in Jerusalem. And the regular burnt offering will be stopped. And at that time will usher a three and a half year period of great tribulation. So you got seven years of tribulation into two, three and a half year periods. One tribulation, another great increased tribulation. And folks, when I was unpacking this over the last year, I thought to myself, don't ever anybody tell me that the Bible is not clear on what's going to happen in the future. Amen? I mean, I love when people tell me, I don't understand prophecy. I don't understand what's going to happen in the future. I'm like, have you read it? I mean, read it and take it at face value. This is not unclear stuff. I mean, it's really clear. It's not vague. It's not imprecise. I mean, a tribulation period complete with a description of what's going to happen during it. Read about it in Matthew 24 and in Daniel 9. It even tells us how long it's going to be, breaking it down into two, three and a half year periods. God has revealed to you and I what's going to happen as time moves on toward the end. Continued spiritual battle a great tribulation eventually to come. And then notice a key third thing that Daniel 12, along with other parts of the Bible, points to, and this is where things look up, and that is the return of Christ, complete with a rapture and resurrection of believers. You're going to want to tune into this one. Look, look at what it goes on to say at the end of verse 1 and then into chapter 2 of Daniel 12. It says, but at that time... Your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So it tells us that at that time, we assume the time of the tribulation because that's the context here, there'll be a resurrection of those who are dead, that those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now, in order for you and I to understand this, we need to fill in some of the gaps here. Because as I said earlier, Daniel 12 is simply a summary of much of what the Bible talks about when it comes to end times. And so you've got to take the Bible as a complete whole. And there are other parts of the Bible that kind of fill in the gaps on all that's going on here. You see, when you get to the New Testament, it will go on to make very clear that at the time of the tribulation period, believers... Get this, both those who are alive at that time of the tribulation and those that are dead will be raptured up into the air to meet Christ who will return at that time. This is found in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18. 
where it talks about Jesus' second coming and how believers dead and alive are going to meet him in the air. Some Bible experts, as we saw a few weeks ago, see this as happening just before the tribulation. Some see it as happening halfway through the tribulation. And others see it happening at the end of the tribulation. You can get my CD on that. I'm not going down that road again. But one thing that they all do agree on is that all believers will be raptured at some time around the tribulation, at the time of Christ's return, and that at this point, don't miss this, things look very good for God's people. I know when we talk about the future and you hear about continued spiritual battle and the great tribulation and all that, you're thinking, man, that sounds like a bummer. Like, why do we have to talk about this? One, we need to know about it. But two, what you need to know is that after that time, things look really good for God's people. Well, we'll get into what that means in just a moment here. But for now, with this third key event, don't miss that Daniel 12 is pointing, that what Daniel 12 is pointing to, what other New Testament passages confirm, is that there will come a day when God physically steps onto the stage of this world again and draws those who are his, meaning followers of Christ, to himself. It's those whose names are written in the book, as Daniel 12 says here, in which Revelation makes really clear our believers in and followers of Christ. And folks, I know some of you wanted to clap right now because, well, you wanted to clap. I get it. I'm up on stage. Anyways, I know that you wanted to... No, that's not true. I know you wanted to clap, but, but let me blow your mind even more because this stuff, I, I know I'm, I'm losing some of you. This stuff really is mind-blowing. When believers are raptured um, and resurrected, you know what the Bible says will happen at that time? They're given a new body. They're given a new body. What the Bible calls a spiritual body. And it's a body that will last for all of eternity and make the body that you're in right now look like an old Raggedy Ann or Andy doll. So I just dated myself. Some of you are like going, a what? Like a beat-up American girl doll or something like that, all right? So look at how 1 Corinthians 15 describes this. I'm telling you, if this doesn't blow your mind, I got nothing more. Look at verses 40 and 42 to 44, 1 Corinthians 15. This is real stuff. It says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. So if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Folks, I got to tell you, if I'm reading this right, as well as other passages in the Bible, this new and resurrected body that believers will get will be one without sickness, without disease, without messed up emotions, without pain, and without all the problems that you and I have right now. So nobody with a resurrected body is going to need glasses, aspirin, canes, surgery, chemo, radiation, artificial joints, nutritional supplements. You get the idea. In fact, I've said for years, there's not going to be any hospitals for people with resurrected bodies. No rehab facilities, no urgent cares. I don't even think there's going to be any gyms for people with resurrected bodies. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe for recreation. But I had somebody once say to me, they did, Walt. Well, somebody once said, I think it will be impossible to pump up your resurrection body. I'm like, you're an idiot. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> It'd be nice, but I don't think so. 
Now, no, the reality is, listen to the words again that it uses to describe this resurrection body. Imperishable, glorified, raised in power. That's the body that God is going to give to those of us who are followers of him at, his, at the Christ's return. So you see now why saints looking up. You've got continued spiritual battle, great tribulation, but then the return of Christ, complete with a rapture and a resurrection. And then notice a fourth key event that the Bible talks about in the future. It's what is called a millennial kingdom. A millennial kingdom. Uh, so listen close to this one. Uh, this is the only one of the six main things that we're going to look at this morning, the six main events that's actually not referenced here in Daniel 12. And yet the reason I feel compelled to mention this to us is because it's so integral to God's, to God's plan for the future, as well as I said earlier, it fills in some of the gaps that exist here in Daniel 12 between this resurrection of believers and again, what we'll see in a minute here, the, the judgment that is to come, this idea of millennial kingdom. And so look at Revelation 20, verses 4 and 5. You'll see how this neatly fits into this. And what it says happens right after the rapture and resurrection. It says, they, meaning believers in Jesus Christ who have died, came to life. So just like Daniel 12, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So tune into this, guys. It says there in Daniel 12, too, that it kind of makes it sound like believers and unbelievers will be resurrected right at the same time. But, Re but Revelation kind of slows you down and says, now, now wait a second, there's going to be a resurrection of believers, again, at the time of the rapture, and the time of the resurrection, and then they're going to go into this millennial reign for a thousand years where Christ will reign on this earth, then will be the resurrection of everyone else. The book of Revelation, in other words, is filling in the gaps. It's clarifying what's going to happen here when believers are, are resurrected and raptured. And that is, is telling us there'll be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. And people have asked me over the years when I've taught this stuff, they said, well, why would God do that? I mean, like, why can't we just all die and go to heaven? I mean, why does he have to go into this 1,000-year reign on this earth type of stuff? And the answer is pretty clear from the book of Revelation. And that is that God wants to show his majesty, his power, and his glory on this earth. Think about it, folks. Something that he has wanted to do all along, ever since the fall of humankind in Genesis 3, physically and manifestly portray his glory full and unhindered on this earth, he will do during the millennial reign. And for those who are followers of him through Christ, they will be a part of that. In fact, it says in the same chapter in Revelation that the evil one is going to be bound during this 1,000 years, and so no influence, evil influence on believers during this time, and that there will be no more death for believers, which makes sense since we have resurrection bodies. And though there are some respected Bible experts that don't see this millennial reign as literal, in other words, they read uh, Revelation as more of a symbolic thing. It's the symbolic reign of Christ now through his church, they argue, and that the 1,000 years is simply referring to the time of his first coming till the time of his second coming. They see it all symbolically. I got to tell you, I see no reason not to take this literally. As you and I have seen in this series so far, when the Bible uses numbers and days and years and lengths, it almost always is using it literally, and they fit neatly within God's plan for the future. We saw that with Daniel in the 70 weeks. I mean, it all just fits and makes sense. We just saw it with the 1,290 days. It all adds up together. 
And so there's no reason not to take this 1,000-year reign of Christ literally. No, I think it's going to happen. A future literal reign of Christ on this earth, complete with believers reigning with him, and it will be a glorious time for God and his followers. So you can see why I say things are looking up for you and me in the future. After continued spiritual battle and a future great tribulation, you then have the eventual return of Christ, complete with a rapture and resurrection, then a 1,000-year reign with Christ. And then notice with me a fifth movement of God in the future, one that Daniel 12 mentions with utter clarity, and one that finally gets all of humanity down to the short strokes before all eternity, and that is what is called the great white throne. I'll explain this in a second. The great white throne, for those of you who are taking notes, simply put, it's judgment day. It's judgment day. And so look at how Daniel 12 verse 2 says it to us again. It says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, here it is, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Folks, the book of Revelation would label this the great, great white throne. And simply put, it goes like this. After the millennial reign of Christ and his followers, the evil one is going to be unbound and there's going to be one final battle, the Bible says, between God and Satan. And God will obviously win. And then there will be what Revelation calls a second resurrection, a resurrection of all people who have died, not just believers, but all people. And at this point, what Revelation calls the book of life will be opened, and every single human being will be judged based on what they did or did not do on this earth. And the context makes it clear in Revelation that what God is mainly concerned about is what what people did or did not do with Jesus Christ. In other words, did we or did we not become followers of him to receive his gift of eternal life with him? And for those that are believers and followers of Christ, Daniel says they'll go on to everlasting life. And yet for those who have lived self-satisfied, self-sufficient lives, refusing to follow God in Christ, they will go on to what Daniel calls everlasting contempt. Now, folks, I, I wrestle with this as much as you do. I live in the real world. And I know that what we're talking about right now is really hard for 21st century American ears to hear. And yet look up there on the screen. The Bible is really clear about this. In fact, it's not just Daniel that says it, but Jesus talked about this. John, Paul, Peter, Matthew. I mean, every major biblical writer eventually gets around to the idea of spiritual and eternal destiny And it makes it really clear that there are those who did life on God's terms. There are those who followed Christ and were faithful to him and believed and trusted in him for eternal life. And then there are those that weren't. And one group spends eternity with God. And the Bible, though it's sobering, says one group won't. You can see it black and white all throughout the scripture. And all I can tell you by way of commentary on this, because I've wrestled with this a lot over the years, is that when you think about it logically, It's not only eminently fair, but it's incredibly grace-filled. It's incredibly grace-filled. I mean, think about it from God's vantage point, folks. All of humanity lost and fallen in rebellion to him. That's the state of us in our fallen selves. All of humanity separated from God. And God did not owe us anything in that state. He could have let all of us spend eternity without him, but he chose not to. He chose to send Christ, whom the Bible says died on a wooden cross for the sins of the whole world. He died for everybody. 
And he offers eternal life to everybody if they will but admit that they are a sinner and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a universal call given to the entire world to believe and trust in Christ. And for those that do, they embrace his grace and experience eternal life. And yet for those that choose not to, God says, then you have made your choice for all of eternity. That's the deal that God has given us. That's the summary of all of the New Testament. And so when you look at it from God's vantage point there, not only is that fair, it's incredibly grace-filled. How could anybody in their reasonable mind argue with that? And folks, that also underlines why for you and I as a church here at Scottsdale Bible, and I'm tuning into this, why evangelism is so incredibly important. Somebody asked me the other day, I think I told you this last week, what my vision is for Scottsdale Bible Church. I said, simple, grace and evangelism. I mean, I love to preach the word. I love to run ministries. I love to lead. I love to do pastoral care. I love to do all the things we do around here. But the vision that God has given me for the future of our church is grace and evangelism. And evangelism for the simple reason that eternity is a very long time for somebody to spend without God. Amen? You got to see it like that. I'm not trying to be dismal here about it. It's reality land. The reality that God says, as we're seeing here today, that there is a judgment to come. And for those that don't embrace Christ, that will not be a good day. And so the reality is, is that you and I have the opportunity now as a church to band together and to tell Scottsdale and Phoenix and the uttermost parts of the world about Jesus Christ. You know, we did a demographic study of our church about a year ago because we wanted to find out just what's going on around the community here demographically. Two things just jumped off the page and hit me. The first thing is, is that you and I live in a saturated demographic here in Scottsdale. Did you know that? Which simply means that 30 years ago, when this church was start, just starting to grow, there was like lots of land for people to build and move into. Do you, some of you remember that day. There was no Desert Ridge. There was no Kierlands. There was really nothing north of this church. As over the last 30 years, Scottsdale has grown significantly, and we became a large church that attracted a lot of new people to the area, as well as won some people to Christ as well. But those days are gone. We live in a saturated demographic right now where the only land in Scottsdale is maybe way north. Other than that, it's a saturated area. And yet, you know what the second thing that hit me was? And this is, this is a huge challenge you and me. 75% of the people within a five-mile radius of this, ch- of this church don't go to church. 75%. And even more of them don't embrace Christ. And so you and I have a mission field right around our church in order to reach people with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Gone are the days of transfer growth, I'm telling you. Here are the days where we can now win and build and send, reach people for Jesus Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's the future that God has for us and for the church. And for those that do embrace God's grace in Christ, there's one final event that God has in store for us. And it's the sixth thing that Daniel 12 reveals. And that's the eternal state. It's the eternal state. Look at verse 3 of Daniel 12. This should move you. Look at how it describes those who spend eternity with God. It says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Folks, it can't get much better than this. It's using the image of both day and night here. Don't miss that. Day and night, revealing to us that 24-7 throughout all of eternity you're going to shine. You're going to shine. As I've said before, there's lots of things we don't know about heaven. One thing we do know is that it's not going to be boring. 
People ask me all the time questions about heaven, insinuating it's going to be some sort of drag. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think that's what the Bible says about heaven. There's a lot of things it doesn't say about heaven, but one of the things it does say is that it will be a glorious place for followers of Jesus Christ, a place of worship, a place of joy. There is no more tears, as we've seen, a resurrection body. So add all this up, folks. Look up here on the screen. Six key events God has promised in the future. Continued spiritual battle, a great tribulation, the eventual return of Christ, complete with a rapture and resurrection, a millennial kingdom, the great white throne, the eternal state. Everything that God has said in the past has come true. He has a 100% track record. And so to the degree that we're reading Daniel and the Bible correctly, these are the things to come. Now, we've got about one minute left. So one last thing before we wrap up this morning, and that is what do you and I do then in the meantime? It's actually a good question to ask. It's a question that Daniel asked. Daniel only asked two questions in chapter 12. And yet the second question he asked here was basically, okay, God, I get this, but what do you want me to do? He says at one point in the thing, he says, what shall be the outcome of these things? In other words, where is all this going, God? What does all this mean? What do you want me to do in the process? And here's God's answer, and I love this. And that is that until this time, we are to walk faithfully with him and trust him for the future. That's the note that the book of Daniel ends on. That God wants you and I to walk faithfully with him and to trust him with everything in us for the future. So look at how this book ends. Look at verses 9 to 10 and then the very last verse, verse 13. It says, And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Meaning the prophecy is finished. It's now for future generations. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And then verse 13, he says it again. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And then the book of Daniel ends. I love the ending of this book. Twice he says to Daniel, go your way. And in a very real way, you know what he's saying? Chill out. Chill out. Walk with God. Be faithful. Be obedient. Read the word. Be a man or woman of integrity who takes his or her spiritual life very seriously. Understand what's going to come in the future because we all need to be aware of this stuff. But walk with God. If you have any focus at all, just walk with him day in and day out. Be that faithful follower of Jesus Christ, fully devoted, fully submitted. You know, this is exactly what Jesus told us when he addressed the same topic. In Matthew 24, Jesus lays out all the stuff about the end times. And then isn't it interesting that in Matthew 25, he tells us a parable. And it's the parable of the 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom. And he says that the bridegroom was late. He didn't get there till like midnight. And because he was late, some of the virgins had lost the oil. The oil had run out. They didn't have enough oil in their lamps to keep their lamp lit. And so they went back to get more oil, and they missed the coming of the bridegroom. And he said, so all of you should keep your lamps lit because you don't know when he'll return, but just be ready for his return with your lip, lit lamp at any time. And folks, that's the point for you and I. Keep your lamp lit. Keep yourself ready, waiting, fully submitted, walking with him. Go your way as you walk with God, and you will be ready for him when he returns. It's an awesome thing prophecy is. It's not daunting. We don't need to shy away from it. When we understand rightly what God has said, 
We're prepared for the future, and we can prepare ourselves to receive him when he comes. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that uh, you've given us your word, and that though your word is hard to understand at some places, and certainly debatable on what it might be saying, that at the end of the day, for those of us who will park in front of it and plumb some of its depths, we can truly understand what you're saying. And Lord, I thank you that there is broad and general agreement over the years on certain aspects of the future as we read the Bible, no matter how you read it, and that is that Jesus Christ is coming again, that he will return visibly and physically, that he'll be bringing those who are his to himself. There will be a resurrection, there will be a rapture, there will be a resurrected body, there will be a great white throne, there will be an eternal state. But all these, Lord, all these things, Lord, are true and sure. And God, I thank you that you've revealed these to us. And I pray, God, for those of us who are hearing this today, that more than anything, what it would do it was, is that it would help us go our own way, meaning your way, that, God, we will go the way of Jesus Christ, that we would follow him, trust him, walk with him, and find ourselves faithful as a result. God, I pray for any of us here who might be struggling in our walk with you today, that, God, the words of this prophecy would do nothing but bolster our faith, increase our resolve to know you and to make you known. God, we thank you for this church, for all that you've done for her. We pray that you continue to bless Scottsdale Bible Church and for those of us who call this place home. Thank you that there's not one person here today who's beyond the hope and scope of your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week.